Welcome to the Northridge Church Podcast, a weekly rewind of Sunday's talk. Let me just add my welcome to you this morning and and say glad you are here. If you are joining us online, my name is Pastor John. I'm one of the pastors here at Northbridge, and we are so glad that you have chosen to join us today from wherever that might be. Uh, We just counted a a privilege and an honor that you uh, are here with us today. So this morning, I'm going to start by letting you experience and see a miracle. All right? You ready? All right? Here we go. Do you see it? You're not seeing it, are you? You're not seeing it, are you? No, it's close. All right, let me help you out here. Do you see it? Still not seeing it, are you? Let me do this. I'm not doing yoga, okay? I'm not doing yoga. That was a bad joke. Shouldn't have said that. Did you see it? What am I talking about? What was the miracle I was, you were seeing right before you? Is my balance. My balance, I guarantee you, our sense of balance is absolutely miraculous, if you think about it. I mean, it is unlike any other sense that we have. Now, all of our other senses have mainly one input. Basically, we see from our eyes, we hear from our ears, we smell from our nose, we taste from our mouth. But balance, our balance gets information from all over the place in our body. Our ears alone, I'm kind of nerding out on you here, but just kind of bear with me. Our ears alone have five balance organs in them each. In our vestibular labyrinth is what we call it. We have a utricle. We have a saccule. We have three semicircular canals. We have a posterior, a horizontal, and an anterior. All of those things are, are, are responsible for angular and linear motion, moving forwards and backwards. We get input to our balance system from our eyes so that we can see where we are in space. We get input from, from our, our, our feeling, from our touch, as it moves along our spine so that we can actually know what alignment is and position is. And all of that kind of converging into the balance center of our brain, where it is, it is integrated and we have it very precise things that give us this, this, uh, this spatial orientation known as balance. And then from there, not only do we get input, but we get output, right? And so, so the balance system gives us output to like our eyes so that our gaze can stay steady while we drive on a bumpy road and we can still read signs, street signs. And sometimes it, it goes, sends outputs down to our, our legs and our feet so that we can stand and we can walk and we can run and we can dance. My daughter's going to say, don't ever do that again. We can dance. Our balance It is absolutely amazing. And if something goes wrong in any one of those places, whether it be the inputs or the processing or or the outputs, if something goes wrong with any of that, anywhere along the pathway, my balance is off. It affects my balance. Balance truly is a miraculous thing. It is complex. It is very, very complex. It is incredibly, incredibly hard to understand system in our body but it is absolutely miraculous in how it happens. You know what's even more miraculous? It's what happens to us spiritually when we come in relationship with Jesus. 
more than anything physically that could ever happen in our body. When we come into relationship with Jesus, something incredibly miraculous happens. At that moment, at that moment in time, when we become a Christ follower, something amazing happens. See, we have this person, you and I, and, and, and we are somewhat, or we think we are forever separated from God, or so it seems. And, and at some point, through a series of, of circumstances, through life situations, through relationships that, that God puts people into our lives, we come to understand that there is a God who absolutely loves us and has created us, each and every one of us, for an incredible purpose. And through the person of Jesus Christ and the cross and the death and the resurrection, we have an opportunity for salvation. And at that moment, at that very moment, you put your faith, you put your hope, you put your trust, you give your heart to Jesus, something incredible happens. The Bible says we become a completely new being. We are a completely new person. Incredibly hard to understand. Incredibly hard to explain. But it's a miracle in what happens to us. At that moment, we become a new person because of Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says it this way. It means that anyone who belongs to Christ, anyone who's accepted Christ, has become a new person. The old life has gone, the new life has begun. Fundamentally, we are completely new. At that moment, we begin to have a relationship with Jesus. Life change begins to happen. Life change begins to happen because of this new person that we are. Tony alluded to this a couple of weeks ago. And he used a, a, a big churchy word that sometimes we use called sanctification. And what sanctification is, is it's this. It's the action or the process of being purified. It's the process of God making us more like him. The idea that each month, each week, each day, we should be and are becoming more and more like Jesus. But the problem is this. That although life change happens, at that very moment we give our life to Jesus and we are rescued, we are saved, we still battle a war. We, we battle a war against ourselves. We battle a war against our sinful nature and the enemy, Satan. And the Bible tells us that every single one of us is flawed. Every single one of us has sin. First John even says, listen, if you say you're without sin, you're a liar. Every single one of us has sin. And so even though we are his, even though we've experienced salvation, even though fundamentally we are a completely new person, we still deal with daily temptations and the distractions that leave us feeling overwhelmed, feeling defeated, and feeling like we have failed and even stuck sometimes in these sinful patterns of life. So listen, reality check. It doesn't get much better news. You will never, ever be sinless on this planet. You will never be sinless here on this earth. But, but, here's the good news. But, as we come into a greater understanding of who God is, and we come into a better understanding of his grace that we have through him, 
we can sin less. We will never be sinless, but we can sin less. And so if you're sitting there thinking, well, well, geez, John, I mean, what's the point, right? I mean, if I'm going to sin anyway, why try? Why try? Why try to go through this walk? I mean, isn't that what grace is about, right? And let me just say this. If that's you, I just want to be honest with you. Your view of God's grace is very skewed. Your view of what happened on the cross is very skewed. See, what happened on the cross is God took every single bit of his righteousness all of his purity, all of his holiness, and he took it off him and he put it on you. And he took every single bit of your, your, your sin, every single bit of your unrighteousness, every single ugliness about you, and he put it on him. That's what Jesus did for us on the cross. And because of God's grace, it is because of God's grace, it is because of what he did for me on the cross that I should want to live for him and experience change in my life. His grace isn't so that we can live just any way that we want to live. No, it is so that we can experience freedom of condemnation as we walk through this world, as we walk through this life, battling our own selfishness and our own desires, and yet trying to walk out this thing that we call Christianity, continue to walk out our salvation. That is the process of sanctification. That is the process of sanctification. That as we know God more, He continues to show us our flaws and continues to help us deal with those sin patterns in our life, those patterns that we struggle so hard sometimes to get rid of. And that's when life change happens. That's when change happens. And although there's not some special checklist that we can go through to make things right, there is a daily act of surrendering ourselves to God that will continue to mold us and shape us and, dare I say, change us, change us. So for the rest of our time this morning, I want us to look at a passage in Ephesians that will help guide us in this this process of making some, some hard changes sometimes in our life. Remember, our definition of sanctification is a process. It doesn't happen overnight. It's not going to happen tomorrow. It is a continual process. And all of us, all of us have stuff. All of us have stuff. And all of us have sin areas in our life that are easy to give to God. And all of us have stuff that honestly, we struggle giving to God in many ways. Many times we struggle with those things because they're habits in our life. I mean, habits don't happen overnight, just, 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 just uh, in, in a couple of days. They're habits we've been dealing with for, the, for, for our entire life, right? And so they kind of become, you know, part of who we are. And sometimes, though, those things are things that kind of we identify with now in life because we just kind of deal with those things. Sometimes, you know, for instance, uh, I'm lazy, so I'm just a lazy person. I procrastinate so much to be lazy, right? I, I, I lose my temper a lot, so I'm just, I'm just an angry person. That's just who I identify as. And sometimes we just identify with those things in life. And sometimes it's just for the fact that, guess what? We have an enemy who knows our greatest weaknesses and knows our greatest struggles. And he tries to discourage you on a daily basis, on a moment-by-moment basis. Two steps forward, one step back. See, I told you, you failed. You failed yet again. You failed again. That's the enemy. That's the enemy. So in Ephesians 4, 
Paul is talking to believers. He's talking to Christ followers. And he gives us a few things that, that if we can focus on them, it gives us an opportunity to experience change in our lives, to help us with this process of sanctification. And so turn with me, if you would, or read with me on the screens, Ephesians 4, 21 through 27. And it says, since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. Stop telling lies. Let us tell our neighbors the truth, for we are all parts of the same body. And don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you are still angry, for anger gives a foothold to the devil. So, sanctification. It is a process. And here are a few things that Paul tells us that I think the process requires. Okay? First is this. The process requires focus on the Holy Spirit. Focus on the Holy Spirit. There's no amount of willpower in your life that can change you from the inside out. There's no amount of, of trying as hard as you want to try to make changes, hard changes on the inside of you. Oh, we try, and we try again, and we try again, and we try again, but ultimately we fail over and over and over trying to do this on our own. You can only be moral so long. You can only be moral so long before you mess up. Last, uh, or a couple of weeks ago, Pastor Tony talked about Romans 8. It may have been last week where he talked about Paul, about putting on your new nature. Paul kind of says the same thing here in chapter 4, in verse 24. He says, put on your new nature, created to be like God. Truly righteous and holy. Put on the new nature. If you do, you're going to be created to be like God because you were created to be like God because you're a new person. Righteous and holy. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says this. So all of us, have had the veil re- all of us who have had the veil removed can see and reflect on the glory of the Lord. Anyone who is a Christ follower, in other words, if you put your hope and your trust and your faith in Jesus... The veil has been removed, and you can reflect on the glory of God. And the Lord, who is the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, does what? Makes us more and more like him as we are changed into his glorious image. And again, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, we read it earlier, but the same, I want to read it again. It says, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. So what does this look what, what does it look like? What does this mean? What is Paul talking about? The qualities that, that God begins to put into our life when the Holy Spirit comes into our life is what he's talking about. This righteousness and the holiness that, that, we, that we now have because of, of, of this new life, those are what we call the fruits of the Spirit. Those are the things that God puts into our life to help change us, to help move us along in this process of sanctification. They're what? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, 
self-control. So how does God produce fruit in a person's life? It's not by willpower. I mean, you can't just wake up one day and say, yeah, I'm going to be, I'm going to be more patient today. How many of you tried that? I'm going to be more patient today than I was yesterday. Doesn't always work out, does it? I'm going to be, I'm going to be more self-controlled today. I'm not going to lose my temper today like I did yesterday. I've tried it. It doesn't work, right? But growing fruit is an inside job. It's an inside job. How does the Holy Spirit work? Gradually, a little bit at a time. It says, as the Spirit of the Lord works within us, in 2 Corinthians 3.18, we become more and more like him. The words more and more, they indicate it's a process. It's a process. It's a gradual process. So God can grow a mushroom in six hours. You know how long it takes to grow an oak tree? Years. So the question, do you want to be an oak tree or do you want to be a mushroom? Right? I mean, an oak tree, you think about an oak tree that's been growing for years. And that's maturity. It's solid. It's firm. Its foundation is incredible. Right? It doesn't happen overnight. I wish I, could, I wish I could tell you that I could tell you something that would make things change just instantly overnight. But I'm just telling you that there is no such thing as instant maturity. We want to act like there is a lot of times, but unfortunately there's not. It's the Holy Spirit that works in us and through us as we walk through this life. As we lean on him, as we ask him to, to dive into who we are and to show us the things in our life that gradually makes us more and more and more like Christ. The process requires us understanding and allowing the Holy Spirit to change us. The process also requires us knowing truth. It understands and requires truth. Look what it says in verse 21, Ephesians 4.21. It says, Since you have heard about Jesus... And have learned the truth that comes from him. Key word in that verse is truth, right? As we spend time with him, as we spend time getting to know him, the truth reveals areas in our life that need change. A personal change happens when we face the truth about ourselves. Nothing will ever change in our life without the foundation of truth. Why? Be because behind every self-defeating behavior, behind every sinful pattern in our life, there's a lie. There's a lie. We lie to ourselves all the time to justify our behaviors, to think that it's just okay, that it's really not that big of a deal, that you know what, I get another chance. We lie to ourselves all the time. The enemy he tells us it's not that big of a deal. I mean, we see that in the very beginning of time. He's like, you know, Adam, no, surely you're not going to die, are you? I mean, God's going to be upset if you do this. But are you going to die? I mean, the enemy lies to us all the time. Jesus said what? I am the truth. And who did he say that what will set you free? The truth will set you free. John 17, 17, Jesus praying for his disciples. Moments a day or hours before he was going to be crucified, he is praying for his disciples. And he says, May, make them holy 
by your truth. Make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word, which is the truth. So, how do we as believers find truth? Through God's word, right? Through God's word. 2 Timothy 3, 16, 17 says this. It says, all scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is what? True. And to make us realize what is what? Wrong with our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. This passage teaches us that his word speaks truth into our life. It shows us what is wrong in our life. It shows us how to correct the things in our life. And it shows us how to get back on the right path on the things in our life. Right? That's the truth. It shows us and equips us to stay on the right path. That is what he does through his truth. So the process requires us understanding the Holy Spirit. It requires truth. It requires choice. The process requires choice. Ephesians 4.22 says, Throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. So Paul, he he talks about this very same thing again to the Colossian church. In chapter 3 of Colossians, it starts in verse 1. He says, since you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above. Then he continues in verse 5. He says, put to death, therefore, what belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the, in the life you once lived, but now you must rid yourselves of all such things as these as anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge of its creator. Now, when I say the process requires making a choice, Here's what I'm saying. It's not good enough just to want to change. It's not good enough just to want to change or just even to desire to change. I mean, many people think about change. They think they want to change. You know, I want to change when it's convenient to change. Someday I will make that change, right? But it's not going to happen without intentionality. You have to have intentionality in life. Let me ask you this. What's going to be different about you six months from now? What's going to be different about you by the end of 2021? Are are you going to be healthier? Are are you going to be emotionally stronger? Are are you going to be more spiritually mature? See, a lot of times we just sit there waiting for God to change us. Okay, God, I'm ready. Ready for you to change me. When in fact, he has shown you what you need to do to make changes in your life. And he has equipped you for you to put those things into practice. I mean, Paul, it's an action that Paul says. Paul says, throw off. That's an action. He says, put to death. That is intentionality. Throw off, put to death, get rid of. Take action. Make a choice to intentionally seek God through truth and through the Spirit of God. Listen, I'll tell you. Well, I became a, a Christ follower. I was late in life. I was around 24 years old. And up to that point, you know, I'd been raised in church during the early matter. I was a pretty rebellious person. 
And when I became a Christ follower and I became new, the Spirit of God began to kind of speak to me about some behaviors in my life. And, 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 and as I kind of prayed about those and as I looked in God's word and the truth kind of began to reveal some of those things, I knew there were some changes I had to make. I had to be intentional about there's some people that I really like to hang out with, but I knew I couldn't hang out with them anymore. Nothing personal against them, but I couldn't hang out with them without enduring temptation. There were some places I couldn't go anymore. I had to be intentional that I don't need to go here because if I go here, I'm going to put myself in a vulnerable situation where change is not going to happen in my life. Many of us, we need to be intentional about some changes. Maybe we need to take some apps off our phone. Maybe we need to kind of figure out who it is we're hanging out with and who we're not hanging out with. Maybe there's people in our life that just are not good for us to be around because they are constantly pulling us in to our old life, our old self. Maybe there's some things that you need to quit watching on TV because when you watch them, they bring out the old self in you. We have to be intentional about change in our life. The process requires that. The process also requires different thinking. Look at Ephesians 4.23. It says, let, instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Now, I thought about combining this one with the first point of the Holy Spirit, but then I thought, you know what? I want to talk a little bit more about our thoughts and our attitudes because they matter so much in this world. Change in our life sometimes requires changing the way we think about ourselves. It means that sometimes we have to change the way we think about others. And sometimes it means we have to think about changing the things that we feel are important and that we put value in in this life. Part of this invisible war that we face, especially when it comes to attitudes and our thoughts, is our culture. Our culture fights against us so hard today. Let me just give you an example. So many times, our, our culture determines how we look at ourselves. How we look at ourselves. Many times because of things out of our control or maybe even maybe some poor choices maybe that we've made, but they, they're, they're just sometimes poor choices. We all make poor choices. Society, culture has labeled us. They've labeled us a failure, we're worthless, we're trouble. And so we begin to hear those things over and over, and that's how we begin to view ourselves. Sometimes because of culture, we look a little different than someone else, and maybe we don't fit into this crowd or we don't fit into this crowd because of the way we look or don't look. And in turn, that over time begins to skew our thinking and our attitude about ourselves, which in turn which in turn changes how we value ourselves, which is different from how God values. We end up with a very poor self-worth of ourselves, which is not how God views us. Verse 23 says, allow the Spirit to do what? Renew. Renew your thoughts and your attitudes. Romans 12, 2 says it like this. It says, do not copy the behavior and the customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person. There's that whole new person thing again. Paul loved that theme throughout the New Testament. By changing what? By changing the way you think. 
Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. It says what? Do not copy what? The behavior and the customs of this world. In other words, don't be so easily influenced by culture. Don't be so easily influenced. Culture is going to tell you what you need. Society is going to tell you what you have to have to be happy. Society is going to tell you what you and your family need to do to be satisfied. That's what culture is going to say. And Paul says, listen, God says, let God influence you what is right. Let God influence what is, what's going to make you happy. Let that be your influence. Let him change the way you think through his spirit. The process also requires this, honest relationships. Ephesians 4.25, it says, So stop telling lies. Let us tell our neighbors the truth, for we are all parts of the same body. Now, this would be very appropriate right here to talk about the importance of small groups and accountability, for which they are. They're very important. Yes, we need them. We need places that we can go and be honest with each other and, and, and we can confide in each other. And, and we need individuals in our life that are going to be responsible uh, for us or to us and accountable to us. In fact, uh, Pastor Tony, Pastor Dave and I, Monday night when we did some sermon planning, an hour almost before we got into sermon planning, we talked about this whole idea of personal discipleship and how we'd love to see this begin to be lived out in our church. And we're, we're kind of thinking about that, praying about that at this point, and don't know what that looks like, but that is something that is on our hearts. That is all important. But I want to take this, this passage, this verse, just a little different direction because I think it's interesting. Many years ago, someone coined the phrase, let's put on our Sunday's best which meant that the best clothing they had is what they would dress up in to go to church. Or if they went out somewhere, you know, to a special evening or a special event, they'd say, let's put on our Sunday's best because we want to put on our best clothes as we go out, right? And although they are talking about dressing on the outside, I just kind of find it interesting and somewhat ironic that we do the same thing spiritually when we walk the door sometimes. We are so afraid we are so afraid for people to see our weaknesses. We are so afraid for people to see really who we are. We are so afraid that people will judge us because we have issues, because we have stuff, because we have these things going on in our life, which is kind of funny because we just talked about the fact that we all have stuff. We all have stuff in our life. I have stuff. You have stuff. We all got stuff, right? But yet we are so we are so concerned that a lot of times we just kind of put on this facade when we walk through these doors. And I think Paul was kind of saying, listen, listen, stop being fake. You don't have to lie about it. Be real with each other. We are the body of Christ. We are the church. Have faith in your brothers and sisters. Have faith that they're going to love you. Have faith that they're going to have mercy for you. Have faith that they're going to have compassion for you. You don't have to, to put on a, a show. It's okay. It's okay that your life is not perfect. My life's not perfect. I mean, Paul, everybody knew Paul, Paul's life wasn't perfect. He wrote about it. And Paul's saying, listen, don't be afraid to lean on your brothers and sisters. Now listen, I'm not, hear me, I'm not saying you need to stand up in the middle of service and just blurt out all your fears and all your failures and all your sins. I'm not, that's not what I'm saying. 
But what I'm saying is this, don't be afraid about your brothers and sisters in this body. That's what we're here for. That's why we show up. Be real. If you got something going on in your life, don't be afraid to share it with somebody. Who knows? You know, they may be going through the same thing or have gone through the same thing. If they haven't, they might yet, right? Let someone in. Let someone join the battle with you as you walk through that time in your life. And the last is this, and I don't have a lot of time, so I'm just going to quickly hit the last process is this. It's daily confession. Ephesians 4, 26 and 27 says this, And don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you are still angry, for anger gives a foothold to the devil. Don't focus on the, the point that it, uh, about anger. What I want you to focus on here says don't let the sun go down. I think it's so important for us as Christ followers to have confession with God each and every day. Each and every day. One, it's acknowledging that we're not perfect. It's acknowledging that we need him. And yeah, God knows your sin, but he needs to know you know it. He needs to know that you rely on him. He, knows, he needs to know that, 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 he, that you rely on his grace for your forgiveness. And so don't go to bed at night without confessing your sin to God. Sanctification, it is a process. It is a process. Many times Emily would call Tammy and I about our coach. She's like, Dad, he's so freaking ridiculous. He's mean. He makes me do this. He makes me do that. I don't like it. We can't do this stunt here. He doesn't know what he's talking about. He doesn't know what he's doing. You know, my, my daughter always does, knows more than anyone else on the cheer floor. She does, probably. That's a sad thing. <laughs> um, but she'd be so frustrated at times with her coach. To which I would say, Em, he's got like seven national championships under his belt. Two of them you've been a part of, now three. To which I'd also just say this, trust the process. Trust the process. He obviously knows what he's doing, right? So many of us, so many of us, we tend to give up on ourselves. We tend to give up on ourselves so quickly. We are such an instantaneous society. We want instant maturity. We want instant sanctification. It is a process. It is a process that sometimes we have to trust. And I think that's what Paul is saying to us. Change can happen. You can sin less in this world, but it's a process. Sanctification is a lifelong process. And the promise we have from Scripture is this, that he who began a good work in us will complete that work, will complete that process on the last day. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for who you are. Thank you, Father God, for one, the miracle of salvation. Thank you, Father God, for the miracle of what happens to us at that very, very moment we come into relationship with you. Praise God we are a new person. 
Praise God we are a new person. But God, there are things in life that just bombard us and are at war with us. And Father God, many of us at times just feel like we failed in our walk. But Father God, you have promised, you have promised not to ever leave us, not to abandon us, and that you will complete us in that last day. And so Father God, as all of us are on this walk, all of us are on this process, many of us at just different levels along the process, not good, not bad, not indifferent, but just all of us are in this walk together. And Father God, all of us have stuff. Father God, would you just, would you just work in every single one of our lives and our hearts to bring us closer to you each and every day, each and every day, would we surrender to you as you work in our lives? Again, God, we just say thank you for who you are. Thank you for who you are in our lives, and thank you for the salvation that we have through your son, Jesus. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Northridge Church Podcast. If you'd like more information about Northbridge Church, you can find us online at mynorthbridge.org.